welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast brought to you by SIS. This is a Matt manicharian list podcast this week. He and Bryce Rossler are off at the Combine. I'm here with James Weaver, who's normally here with me on, on this show. And we're going to talk about a competition that we sponsored last week, which is the Syracuse Football Analytics Blitz. And we're going to talk to the winning team from the University of Pennsylvania. But first, James, what is, if you had to pick a combine event that you participated in, what would what would be your combine? I like watching the gauntlet, the, the receiver gauntlet going back, when receivers looking back and forth. Obviously, there's a big opportunity for embarrassment of getting hit in the head and something like that and not looking at the right direction. Which one would you do? I would do the gauntlet. I would do Really? It. I think so I'd be You want I the embarrassment? I think I would embarrass myself less there than running the 40-yard dash. So <laughs> Fair enough. I was thinking that I would choose the weighing event because I feel like I can stand still on a scale pretty good. So, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good one. <laughs> that's, as, that's as good as I, I can really offer. Okay, so, so the people that we have here are the team from Penn, and I'll give them an opportunity to introduce themselves first before we get to sort of talking about their winning performance. So go ahead, guys. I'll just get started. I'm Danny Cole. I'm a junior majoring in business analytics and management in Warden. I'm Caleb Cannon. I'm also a junior majoring in economics. Yeah, I'm Chris Shaw. I'm also a junior majoring in stat, finance, and CS. I'm Ezra Troy. I'm also a junior and I'm majoring in economics as well. I'm Sam Pascal. I'm a junior as well. I studied communications, but the statistics minor. I will admit that I am definitely biased in favor of the person who's majoring in communications and minoring in statistics because I majored in psychology and minored in math and stat. So, oh, like that's that's the that's the real path. All right. So, just to sort of introduce the the case involved, basically there are a whole bunch of of different schools participating. Some schools with with multiple teams, and the case was using data presented from SIS, which had play by play data with a whole bunch of charting data elements um, and also some additional player value stuff and some contract stuff. And we asked, what are the traits that make a good defensive lineman? How does a defensive scheme, 3-4-4-3, that sort of thing, change your analysis? What are the traits that make a good defensive line overall, which is more of like a sort of qualitative assessment? And given salary constraints and based on the, the sort of way that you value players, create an optimal defensive line. So first, I guess, if you guys could just Give a rundown in brief of what you did throughout the the project to sort of come to your conclusions. So I guess one of our first like results that we saw were that faster and lighter players, whether they're linebackers, defensive ends, or even like interior defensive linemen, they were better pass rushers than the heavier players. There was there wasn't really much of a run correlation to like being better defending the run as to weight and like speed. And this is really generally because of like technique is what we like posited. So from that initial conclusion, how did that sort of inform what else you did? Yeah. So after we kind of had that idea, our general idea is we want to value the defensive line as more than kind of the sum of the individual players, but how those players will like work together in certain down and distance situations. So in order to do that, we kind of knowing that there's some physical explanation, but also maybe where you're playing and then, you know, something kind of unexplained about run defense. We're going to cluster players. So kind of group these players together based on their physical attributes, the percentage of time they're playing in each different technique, and also explicitly on the pass and run defense performance. And then we kind of modeled basically 
in any game state, depending on which kind of grouping of players you have, uh, so maybe you have like two kind of faster guys, two kind of slower guys, maybe a more traditional 4-3 with a traditional 3-4, as you group those players together, what's kind of the excess EPA that you generate in each game state? And once we had that idea, we kind of optimized for the line combination that would give us the best EPA over those predicted game states. And then we maximize the player talent based on the situations for which they would be playing in. One of the big reasons that we chose your team, and, and to be fair, I was one of the judges involved. And also, to be fair, I'm currently wearing a pen sweatshirt, so I'm <laughs> slightly, I was not I was not biased, but I was pleased in some sense. So one of the big reasons we chose your team was your explanation of how situational factors contribute. So what went into, and, and that was not part of the the prompt, right? We We wanted you to Think about however you wanted to think about the, the value of a defensive line and how you might construct it. But one of the big things that you presented was, here's how we'd set up the line in third and short. Here's how we'd, we'd set up the line in third and long, you know, run situations, pass situations, that sort of thing. What went into the decision to include that as like a sort of primary part of the analysis? When we were thinking about the problem, we realized that different situations in football are very unique and that in different times during the game and a different down and distance and score situations, there's just completely different defensive lines and defensive shifts and kind of personnel that you want on the field. So kind of one of our first thoughts was thinking about how not only would we kind of pick the best four players and then kind of pick a substitute, but really pick defensive linemen that would A, work well together, but B, kind of pick a group of five or six linemen that we could substitute in pretty easily with, you know, kind of with them being able to augment each other's strengths and fill in any weaknesses when when necessary. So it was kind of a key point in our analysis was breaking down the different the data into different game states and optimizing for each of those game states and then picking players from there as opposed to just, you know, trying to pick the best four and then throwing in a couple of players at the end. But really trying to it came from our top our top down approach of thinking about the line as a whole and not trying to think of players on an individual level. So you guys had mentioned earlier about, and I heard, you know, heard modeling, heard clustering. So I wanted to get a little bit into the nitty gritty and what analytical techniques did you guys use and how did you guys settle on choosing to implement those ones? And then it's kind of a follow-up question. What were some of the criteria, uh, selection criteria that you used to optimize your models? I guess we'll speak on the clustering side first. So we want things that are kind of easily explainable, especially in like a competition type setting. We don't want anything statistically that's too fancy where we can't really explain it in an easy way. You don't never know like kind of what the statistical background of the people you might be presenting to is, especially like kind of in sports worlds where, you know, if this were to ever be implemented in any case, like we need to be able to explain it to people who might have like no or very little statistical background. So you know, for clustering, things like that, we're going to do something very simple. Maybe you've heard of like K-means clustering, but essentially what you're doing is you're choosing, you think there's like K different groups of players. So we, in our case, we said there's five. And essentially, you try and find a center point among all the data you have, five different center points, and group the players closest to those center points. So it's like a kind of very intuitive explanation. You know, people who are close together in terms of the stats will be grouped the same place. And that's like a very intuitive explanation. Uh, as for like kind of the other modeling aspects, you know, we're part of, a lot of us are part of a sports analytics seminar with Professor Addie Weiner of uh, the Warden Sports Analytics and Business Institute or Institute Initiative or something. You know, so we talk about different statistical and analytical techniques there. And, you know, as part of that work, we sometimes do kind of research into new sports analytics methods. So one of the research projects that we're working on right now is actually a way of kind of modeling yardage gain as a function of game state. So 
we applied some of those kind of research techniques that we've been using to model EPA instead of yardage gain, but it's like a very similar type of concept. And that helps at least bring some like legitimacy to the model. I think, you know, you can probably do it in any number of arbitrary ways and get like somewhat reasonable results. But that, I guess, kind of leads into the second question, which is how do we evaluate it? So given the limited time in a competition, like we can't be so concerned about getting like the best, most tuned model. So generally we want something like we have the idea of like reasonable results, right? So the consensus ideas of what people do, like what NFL teams do on each down and distance, they can't be like, they might not be the optimal thing, but our model shouldn't think that they're completely wrong, right? We want them to at least say like, you know, on third and long, this is what most people are doing. That should at least have a somewhat reasonable result in our model. You know, maybe like it's a neutral result or slightly positive result. If it was a massively negative result, that's probably means that something wrong with our model as opposed to something wrong with what people are doing. Simply because, you know, like if there was something really horrible, like that would people, teams that have picked up on that and fixed it by then. And similarly, like for how we rate players, you know, the most commonly played defenses shouldn't be rated terrible. And, you know, all pro caliber players should not be rated as terrible in our defense, right? Like they're all pros for a reason, even if they might not be the best exactly all pro by our standards, they definitely shouldn't be rated as terrible. And similarly, like players who are consensus not good should also not be insanely rated by our system. So just kind of empirically looking at what does does the model like give reasonable or sensible results? Uh, and that's probably the best way to go when you have limited time. Yeah, the notion of simplicity and explainability is one of those things that we have a hard time like it came up in in sort of the Q&A after the competition that like explainability in the sports context and we had, you know, one of the one of the judges, multiple judges actually currently work for NFL teams were really harping on that that like you don't need to have the best statistical technique as long as because so many of them are it's it's very marginal the differences between a lot of them at a certain point but having that explainability is like super relevant and especially like in a competition like this, you can assume a certain level of, of understanding of, of different techniques and that sort of thing, but certainly working with a team or, or even just publishing to the public, like the, the simpler that you can come up with and while it's, it might not be the absolute best thing. The explainability is, is so important to get people to keep reading basically. Like people will just be like, I don't, I don't get this. These are just some, some nerds talking to nerds. And we need to be able to communicate in a way that, that is more helpful to the general population without also in, without doing some kind of like talking down things. We're not, in a lot of cases, we're not professing to be like, to have the actual, the, the absolute correct answer all the time. So you had talked about sort of using, using stuff that you would, you were working on separately and, and sort of bringing that in. Did you do any other like research or education, whether it was football education or, or, analytical education sort of like in prep for or while the competition was going on well we had, we looked at some combine data too again going back to just like the basic storytelling just going back to that point of, of the communication and, and the presentation for it being football especially keeping that that practical mindset there in terms of like how do you have a key takeaway and then explain it to a coach that can't implement it to an actual offense or defense was something that we really prioritize again with that scenario based football of we want a unit of guys that can be adaptable and then also successful so we really we really focused on that in terms of something that can work no matter the situation because football is unique in that sense where you have this linear progression of downs of progress but yet it changes drastically depending on which one you are and then at the yardage basketball pretty much the same possession to possession baseball the count changes a little bit but one two two one it's it's all kind of see ball hit ball 
football, it changes a lot. So we want to make sure we presented that in a clear way. And then also, how do we just have from the fundamental standpoint, as we were talking to earlier, everyone's pretty much like a good professional athlete at the NFL level. So we're not really looking at, oh, outliers in a sense that we have to really you know, model around those in any sense. It's really more what are the key attributes that everyone's pretty decent at and then that we can really find surplus value in. I, I This is kind of a, a tangent, but in terms of football knowledge, like where are you guys at? And like, is, is there a sort of difference in how knowledgeable you were about the sport among the five of you? Well, I would say uh, there might be a little bit of different knowledge. Personally, me and Sam here, we both play for the sprint football team here at Penn. So we have like direct intel we play. Caleb used to play. Uh, it's okay. He's taken a couple years off. But I would say everyone is definitely knowledgeable about football and knows the game. But there was probably different degrees of variation between how much like nitty gritty, different formation, stuff like that. Did the fact that there were people who had played and people who were enthusiasts, like did that sort of inform the way that you went, out, went about going through the project? I would say a little bit at least. There, but the thing is, I think football is a game, but when you people are like watching it, they're fully indulged by it. They're not just like kind of eh, like some people watch baseball and just kind of like, throw it on the background. When you watch football, you really tune into all the details and all the intricacies. So obviously there is a difference between playing football and watching it. But I feel like most people that watch football have a general understanding of what's going on to like a high degree. I appreciate the the compliment as a person who has never stepped on the field. I definitely represent the paradigm of of nerd looking at a spreadsheet. Question for the group in general: What would you say took the most time or the most iteration of your process throughout putting the putting the project together? Well, as a group, we spent a lot of time on most of our modeling. I think one of the the longest, most iterated things we took into account was the clustering. We really wanted to make sure it was right. We also focused on the presentation style and deciding how best to tell our story. Football emphasis was a big reason. The importance and abilities of our defensive lines isn't broadly well-known or recognized, so we wanted to make sure we represented it in a reasonable way. So I guess I, I want to talk about future directions or, or, or whether it's stuff that you could have worked on and you didn't or, or stuff that you might theoretically do in the future with the same data set. You know, we asked you to answer specific questions as part of the competition, but was there stuff so first off, was there stuff that you feel like you sort of learned more generally that wasn't specific to the questions that we were asking? Yeah, I mean I think we had a few key takeaways that weren't necessarily specific. I mean I know that the competition kind of stressed figuring out what attributes make a good defensive lineman. So we kind of, as we mentioned, we really focused on size and speed for that. But I think that that conclusion led us to a larger conclusion, which I think is something you're seeing not just across football, but across a lot of sports, which is that speed and kind of spreading out the game is really what's taking over. And so kind of one of our main conclusions was that as the NFL, as NFL offenses spread out, NFL defenses should do the same. They should, you know, try and pick players that were faster. And as we mentioned, we used 40-yard dash data to kind of as a proxy for how fast players were. And we found that the Faster players for us generally translated better in our model. And that kind of, you know, taking, taking from our, our initial thoughts of, you know, speed is a good thing and kind of seeing that play out in our model to this larger conclusion of, you know, trying to create a defense where all the players are fast, all the players 
are kind of a lot, you know a lot faster than than players in their own position group. But and even if they're smaller, kind of realizing that that might not necessarily hurt you as much as the gain you would get from the speed. It was kind of our our main takeaway and something that we really learned from this project beyond what was asked in the. Project. Yeah, and also to that point, probably also scenario based too. We probably look more at the teams that a specific team or the fictional team would be facing. Again, harping on that like practical aspect: who are you facing? If you're facing a really get good center, you know maybe we we adjust around that so we attack the weaknesses instead of going straight at their best player. We're not going to go up against you know the Kelsey brothers if they're on the same O line in this fictional scenario here. But you know how do we best make something that's practical and, and usable? And sometimes that would have to adapt based on the scenario of the team or plays would be playing against. I guess one thing else that I really would like to bring in is the effect of tight ends and blocking. Because if if you're like understanding that like a like the Eagles it took a, a uh, they they saw that Hassan Reddick was going against tight end and they're like, let's just match this guy up against tight end and he's gonna win a lot. And if you can put your players in a like position to win, it's really just gonna allow them to like thrive more. Like it's really interesting that to see that like the way that edge players can line up off the ball and come downhill and like win on a pass rush. If you're down line and you have to win with power. So I used to seeing the difference between speed and power would long term could be a different implication. I kinda wanna talk generally about the value of participating in this sort of thing. I think that, you know, we're often having conversations with people who are already quote in the industry. And I think that the existence of competitions like this is something that's started to exist in the last few years and has really provided an opportunity for people to get access to data that teams are using and really understand what it's like to think about the game in a way that is beyond what is publicly available, typically. So just, I guess, how is this competition, like what sort of experience are you getting in terms of being able to sort of improve the way that you're thinking about the game? Is this the kind of competition? What what would you like to see in other sorts of opportunities for people who are students or are just sort of like trying to to get in the industry? Like how, how can we use this as like a springboard to, to other kinds of activities? Yeah, I'll let Ezra take this. He's uh, actually done the competition a few times now. <laughs> I was going yeah, so to ask my... if you guys had experience. So that, that's good. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so this is actually my third year in a row doing the competition, which is very interesting to kind of see how the competition's evolved over the past couple of years. This is also the third year of the competition. So kind of just, you know, coming from, you know, two years ago, I guess, or three years ago when it was, everything was online and it was, it was very Zoom heavy. Obviously all the presentations are on Zoom, but even when I was working with my team, everything was on Zoom and then kind of seeing the evolution of how that, how that's kind of worked over the past three years has been something that's really interesting. But I mean, for me, the best part about working on these projects was when I was a freshman and a sophomore, I was working with kind of other students who were a lot more experienced than I was with football analytics. And that to me was something I just learned so much from. So luckily we go to a school like Penn where sports analytics, there are a lot of you know, students who are interested in sports analytics, who are very good analytical backgrounds, who are able to kind of work on these projects and bring, bring along younger students and have them do aspects of the projects which are smaller but still very valuable to kind of sit by and and learn with them. So I guess answering your question about how how competitions like this can be used as a springboard for the future, I think really emphasizing the ability of younger students who are interested to be able to work with people who are more experienced. So, you know, may, maybe it's a competition where you have people who work in the industry direct a team or something like that where people can really gain firsthand knowledge from more experienced, you know, students or even people who work in the industry professionally is something that 
I think many people would find valuable. I mean, also just kind of not being afraid to give it a shot. Like, you know, even if your project doesn't turn out the best, the chance to work on something like this and the ability, the, the skills that you gain, even if you feel that your project doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily the best work that you could do, but kind of just taking the chance to take the opportunity to work with a data set and to make a presentation and to kind of work under a time pressure while it's very stressful in the moment is something that I found to be very valuable as I've seen my football analytics skills progress over the past three years. So for future groups, what would you say would be one piece of advice you'd give them being something that you guys think you could have done better, something you could have done a little bit, you know, done a little bit more with more time with or anything along those lines? Yeah. One thing I think is, you know, you have to understand like the time constraints. So, you know, it's very tempting to try and build like your own value-based model. Like in this type, you get the problem like this. It says, oh, which of the players you want to pick? Like it's very tempting to try and like come up with some metric to value players like based on the like raw charted data. But, you know, we kind of quickly realized that that's going to be a very time intensive endeavor and we probably can't do it very well in like a short amount of time. And it's going to prevent us from being able to do like anything interesting beyond that if we wanted to pursue that. So, you know, our whole like pass rushing and run defense was just using like a noise adjusted total snaps, total points per snap. So we're taking the data that's already given to us. Someone has already, I mean, SIS has already done the analysis for trying to value these players, separate out their value from the other players on the field. So we're given that gift, I guess, of that free analysis done for us. So let's now kind of do something more, in, like do something new, I guess, that's not already been done and we probably can't do as well anyways in such a short amount of time. So what that's one big thing, like really understand what data you have and what like kind of things have already been done for you versus now what are some new things that maybe haven't been done on this data set? I think a project like this, it's really maybe sometimes like easy to get caught into like the weeds of like doing some nice EDA and stuff like that. But really trying to think like what's something new that we could do, even if we can't do it really well in like a in one week time, at least just trying a methodology out, getting something somewhat reasonable out there. You know, it's not like I wouldn't say our project is anywhere close to like ready to be used in any sense, but at least it's something interesting that someone might see and can think about it further and improve on it. That's like probably more valuable than trying to reinvent the wheel of something that's already been done. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things that was discussed by the judges was that there's, you know, we're giving you a, a few days to work on something and we're giving you a limited data set. So like, you have limited time and limited resources to some extent. So finding the best answer is probably unreasonable anyway, independent of, of trying to find the best model or whatever, just like there's there's not that much time to sort of optimize your process. But in a real world circumstance, you're often not provided that much time or resources either. So like being having that sort of artificial constraint does sort of mirror the real world situation of like you're you're only going to be afforded so many opportunities to to really sit down and, and work on this kind of project. Like often you're bouncing around between other things. So I do think that the the way that the case is structured does kind of mirror the constraints you might have in the real world, even if it's not literally the same. I, other than that, I, I ju- I'm just really glad to have you guys on. I think that it's cool that we're part of an industry that is trying to remove some of the barriers between the the sort of people who are working in the public and the people who are, are working in the industry. And honestly, like we're not, you know, SIS is is not one of the teams. And, and so we recognize that, that we are sort of an intermediate location between the public and the people who are, are working with all the biomechanical data and all that kind of stuff that, that are working for the team. So it's it's cool to see what people 
can come up with with just a little slice of that information. I guess lastly, I'm just kind of curious what's next for for you guys in terms of whether it's advancing in your career football specific or or data analytics specific like are what are what are your what are you looking to to sort of get to in the future? I really want to work in football actually, whether it be like on team operations as a coach side or in the front office. That's my long-term goal. Yeah, for me personally, I think I, I want to work in the government, but this experience has given, <laughs> has, has given me a lot of valuable experience working with these great guys. Resource constraints in, is something that you will understand if you're working for the government. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. My background may be a little bit like different. So like last summer, I worked for like a sports trading firm. I'm going back there next summer. And part of what we do a lot of is like doing models that, you know, try and value winning and like what the percentage of chance of winning and losing before and during a game. And so like this type of analysis is not something I get to necessarily do that often, right? Where it's like more on the schematic and football side of things. So you know, it's like a fun opportunity for me to like look at a different type of problem, I guess. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, I've really thought about going into sports analytics as a career. So either kind of working for a company like SAS or even for a team, that would be something that's really cool. And kind of having these projects, again, for the third year in a row and kind of working with different teams and seeing you know how different people's working styles um, come together and kind of different uh, having a lot of different prompts has really been informative to me as I kind of think about taking a step in that direction for a career path. Career-wise, for me, I'm looking at that convergence between sports media and sports betting. Of how do you, how do companies like Veasan or DraftKings take a random, you know, Tuesday night game between, say, like the Orlando Magic and like the Milwaukee Bucks, and make it something interesting and an entertainment product for people to want to bet on and understand both the stats side of points per game, but then also like, hey, this guy is dating this person. Maybe he's doing a little well, a little better tonight or something like that. So combining both the entertainment value with also then you know, the stats and backing that up and selling that to sports betting media. I love, I love running the gamut between all, all of those different things. That's, that's cool that, that it's, and I, that also shows that like, yes, the, the cool thing about working with sports stuff is that it is a hobby to most people. And so, yes, you can theoretically pursue working in, in, and, and focusing on that, but like, there's plenty of other things that you can do in the world and, and having access to some of the stuff and being able to sort of think about the game and, and think analytically about it is a thing that you can still do on the side, do for fun and pursue other things. Uh, and there are so many also these, these peripheral, not peripheral, but, but there, there's so many offshoots of the industry where you can still, you're still engaging with the sport, but you're engaging with it in very, in very different ways. The media side, the trading side, the, you know, working for a, a team, working as, as, you know, working for a team as an analyst is very different than working as a coach. So there's just like a lot of ways to apply that interest and in those skills. Definitely. Well, thank you so much to, for coming on. We're really glad to have you and, and congratulations on winning. Congratulations to, to Ezra for being a multi-time winner. So yeah, big ups. We'll, we will not be sending you some kind of like fancy trophy or anything, but you have that pride. So yeah, thanks for so much for coming on and this, and, and, you know, good luck to, to all your, your, all the various things that you're, you're trying to get done in your career. So for James and Justin Stein, our producer, this has been the Off the Charts Football Podcast. We'll see you next week.